0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Good morning. Once again, welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. How many of you are glad you're here? I sure am glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you've tuned in online. As Pastor uh, Tyler mentioned just a few moments ago, we're right in the middle of a series we've entitled Summer on the Mount, an expository and detailed study of what has been designated the greatest sermon ever preached, namely the Sermon on the Mount. And as I mentioned previously, when the Lord first began to lead us in this direction, I was not a fan. It was not something I got excited about. Because to me, it represented a huge commitment. It was a huge assignment. And so I said, Lord, come on, it's summertime. Let me pray about starting the series in the fall. And as you can see, the Lord was having none of that. And as usual, he got his own way. He usually does. Now, in preparation for this series, I started studying the Sermon on the Mount way back in the early part of May. And at that time, I read or listened to the entire sermon, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, multiple times a day. I just kept feeding myself with this particular message. And not only did I fall in love with this sermon, something that you know i i knew it was there and have been preaching parts of it for years and years but when i finally put it all together and focused my attention on it i fell in love with the message and i gained a brand new appreciation for the grace of god and coming from me that's a pretty significant statement Because we have built our entire ministry, including our top core values, on the whole subject of grace. Here at Community Christian, we have been on a 30-year pursuit of grace. And if you don't mind me saying, we do it well. But over the past several weeks, I have received yet another layer, another revelation of the grace of God. And once again, it has driven me to my knees. And now, when I review the Beatitudes even, uh, what I've memorized, I have a hard time getting through them without becoming emotional. I mean, the words that Jesus spoke in these three chapters have just come alive in my heart, and I hope the same thing is happening for you. Now, in lesson number one of this series, way back uh, the first week in June, during my introduction, I told you that the Sermon on the Mount is not a how-to-get-saved sermon. Now, if you're not saved prior to hearing the sermon or prior to reading it, I sure hope after you hear it preached or after you read it, you'll make a change in your life and you'll want to follow the Lord. I mean, that's our goal with anything that we do. We're hoping that you and praying that you make a, a decision to follow the Lord. But this sermon, uh, it was preached to believers. Amen. It's designed for us, for you and me. You don't believe me? Yes. Then just nod your head. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was preached for us. The greatest sermon on the planet, the greatest sermon ever recorded, was preached to the Church. And if you don't believe me, check out Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. The scripture said, when the disciples came to Jesus, he taught them. When followers came to Jesus, when the people that were locked into what Jesus had to say, those are the ones Jesus began to teach. And so the Sermon on the Mount, it teaches us believers how to act and how to behave. And the more you read it, the more you grasp what Jesus is trying to communicate, the more you realize there is absolutely no way any one of us could ever live out the Sermon on the Mount apart from the grace of God. We need grace. But how many know the scripture tells us that grace is sufficient for us, it's available to us. God has given us that grace. One such verse is found in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Here's what Titus says For the grace, the what? Grace. For the what? Grace. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, it teaches us to say no to worldly passions. And the grace of God also teaches us to say yes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I don't know whoever thought uh, that the grace of God was a license to sin or a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not what grace is. It's a gift. It's a force that empowers us. It enables us to live a holy and a godly life. And this is precisely the life that Jesus modeled for us in the Gospels. This is how he lived every minute of every day. And check it out. He never sinned. He never failed. Not one time did Jesus ever miss the mark. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 tells us that this high priest of ours This Jesus, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Could it be any clearer than that? Jesus lived a sinful life, and he expressed that, he communicated that to us. Now, some people think that because Jesus was the Son of God, he had it made, that it was easy for him to always make the right decision. But I want you to keep in mind that he humbled himself, the scripture says, and he came to earth as a man. So Jesus, if you believe the doctrine, which is a good doctrine, tells us Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. He was not a little God. He was not a superman. He was the God-man. And I know that's pretty difficult to comprehend. It's a different concept than what we're used to, than what we know. But he faced the same adversity, the same trials, the same temptations that we face today. Jesus did. And not only did he willingly die the most horrific death you could possibly imagine... Jesus made a tremendous sacrifice for us. And I'm not talking about the sacrifice on the cross. I mean the sacrifice before the cross. I'm talking about the way he died and the way he lived. You see, Jesus walked among us. The God man walked among us as a servant, he laid down his rights. He stripped himself of his divine entitlements and his heavenly privileges. And the scripture tells us that he completely emptied himself to make us great. Jesus humbled himself, stripped himself as of entitlements, emptied himself to make us great. You see, he didn't go to the cross for him. He went to the cross for you and for me. He lived and he died to show us the absolute best that God has to offer us. And his example should inspire us to live genuine, godly lives. The example that he communicates to us and and is spelled out in the word of God, that should challenge us to want to follow after him. And follow in his footsteps. To live what Jesus called a kingdom of heaven life. Remember with me that when he started his earthly ministry, uh, Jesus, he, 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 everywhere he went, he said to the people, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. That was his message. Repent and believe the good news. What did Jesus want his followers or his people to repent of? The way they were living. He wanted them to change the way that they were living. He was saying to them, he was communicating and preaching a brand new day. He said the kingdom is near. The kingdom is here. He wasn't talking about heaven. He was talking about life here on earth. Life in the here and now. And as king, Jesus revealed to us that his kingdom was not only different than the way they were living, it was contrary to what they had been taught. Friend, this is is the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was communicating that the kingdom of heaven, which he came to reveal to us, was not only different than the life that they were living, it was contrary to what they had been taught. In the kingdom of heaven, up was down and down was up. And Jesus, he, with him at the helm, the most accomplished leaders walked with humility. And the greatest among them were servant of all. King Jesus said, in my world... Blessed are those who mourn. In other words, happy are the sad. Happy and blessed are those who grieve and mourn the sin and evil in this world. Jesus said in my kingdom, different than the way you're living and different than the way you've been taught, the strong are meek and the mighty are merciful and the passionate are pure. Pure. And the powerful are the peacemakers. Friend, do you have any idea how this paradigm or how this message shocked and stunned the people who were listening to it? It was inconceivable. Because the Pharisees and the religious leaders, those who taught the word of God, they didn't act like this. They weren't teaching these kinds of things. And not because they were given a different set of rules or a different set of laws. Or instructions, but rather because they had grossly misinterpreted God's intention. And they didn't understand the heart of God or the spirit of God. And so Jesus wasn't changing the rules. He didn't come during the Sermon on the Mount to make amendments to the law of Moses. In all actuality, he was fulfilling the original intention of the law because the scribes and the Pharisees had misinterpreted it and mistaught it. So Jesus was correcting it. And in this segment of his sermon, the passages that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus would go on to repeat the same phrase five different times. On five different occasions, Jesus declared, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. In other words, Jesus said the religious leaders have taught you a way of living. They've taught you some things. They've tried to communicate to you the the instructions that the Lord requires of you. Uh, But don't worry, don't fret. I'm going to correct all that, and I'm going to tell you the right way. Again, you have heard it said, but Jesus said, I'm going to tell you. And he basically went on to give them the straight scoop five times. I'm paraphrasing now. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't hate or even be angry with your brother. Seek reconciliation and peace. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, instead of physical or fleshly desire, learn to practice purity. You've heard it said, keep the oath that you've made to the Lord. But I say, be honest and tell the truth. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't seek revenge or retaliation. Rather, offer forgiveness. And finally, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love. Love your family members. Love your friends and your neighbors, and love even your enemies. And so here in these verses, if we're going to learn how to live in the kingdom of heaven, then we have to scrap the old way of doing things. That's what Jesus was teaching. You have to lay aside the way that you've been taught. Everything that the scribes and the Pharisees have communicated to you because it's been wrong. And you have to be willing to embrace the new way, my way. You've heard it said, you've heard it preached, you've heard it this way, but I tell you. And two of these five themes have already been covered in past lessons, murder and adultery. Pastor Chris covered both of those the last two weeks and I thought he did a masterful job with each of them. We have three more to look at today. So let's continue our reading in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Guess they didn't have hair dye back then. (laughs) All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. All right, Jesus said anything beyond a simple yes or no comes from the evil one. Now, who was he talking about when he used that phrase, the evil one? He's talking about the devil, right? And in John chapter 8, Jesus identifies the evil one or the devil as a liar. He said he's the father or the author of all lies. Verse 44, he goes on to say, that's his original and his most familiar language. You see, the devil is a stone-cold liar, a pathological liar, and he's good at it. He hates the truth with a passion. And Jesus said, I don't want you to even remotely imitate or emulate that kind of behavior by making a vow or a promise and then crossing two fingers behind your back. Jesus said, don't do that. Because that's what the religious leaders did in a kind of a way. They told the people that if they made a promise, but they didn't make the promise in the name of the Lord, then they were let off the hook. It's like a loophole or an escape clause in the whole oath-making process. Jesus said, don't swear. Don't swear on a stack of Bibles. Don't swear on your mother's grave. Just don't swear at all. Tell the truth and keep your word. When you say something, just do that. I love what Judge Judy always says, and if you watch Judge Judy, she says when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you, the story you told because the truth is the truth. That's why the story gets, you know, turned around hundreds of times. Just tell the truth. It's the only story you have to tell. Jesus said, you don't have to be making a lot of promises and oaths. You don't have to prove uh, what you're saying is true. Just keep your word. All right, verse 38. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. All right, a little background here. Back in the day, primitive tribes, they didn't understand the meaning of fairness. They didn't have a concept of what fairness was. When one tribe committed a small infraction against another tribe, it was survival of the fittest. And oftentimes the end result was an ongoing feud or a bloody warfare among neighboring tribes. For instance a minor violation like stealing some bread could have been met with a severe beating instead of a demand for restitution. The retaliation then for the beating oftentimes was a killing, which then resulted in the slaughter or the annihilation of an entire village, including innocent women and children. And so an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth it became part of the Levitical law. This was a concept that was written into the law of Moses, and it was God's way of trying to prevent a ton of bloodshed. You see, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, it represents one of the oldest laws on record, lex talionis. Sorry, right, lex talionis, also known as the law of retaliation. Lex Talionis basically said the punishment inflicted should correspond in degree to the offense of the wrongdoing. In other words, let the punishment fit the crime. That's what this whole concept was about. And keep in mind Exodus 24:21, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was given by God as a civil measure, not permission for personal revenge. The law was not a license to carry out person-to-person vendettas, which was the common mindset in Bible days. You steal my goat, I'm coming after your goat. You hit a golf ball and accidentally break the window of my house, I'm coming with a baseball bat, and I'm knocking out one of your windows. That was what everybody thought that that meant. And again, here in Matthew chapter 5, in the verse that we just read, Jesus was correcting an inaccurate interpretation by the religious leaders. They didn't understand what God was trying to communicate. And the big idea of this teaching, the one that escaped them, the whole idea that that escaped them, was instead of personal revenge and retaliation, instead of meeting out street justice and getting even, God wanted believers, you and I, followers of Jesus, to show perpetual mercy and forgiveness. Say that again. Instead of getting even, instead of retribution and revenge, God wanted us, the people of God, to learn what it meant to show mercy and forgiveness. And why in the world would we do that? I mean, who does that? Well, we do that because of our deep appreciation and sincere gratefulness for how God treats us. With mercy and with forgiveness. And with mercy and forgiveness. Remember Beatitude number five? Blessed are the merciful for what? they will be shown mercy. In Romans 12, 19 and 21, Paul wrote this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Don't be someone who who goes after retribution. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, in God's kingdom, different than in the world's view, the mighty are meek and they're merciful. Now, when I reflected on these verses, uh, I can't in good conscience teach on them without making this comment. And, And this is just me. But I do not believe in this particular passage that Jesus is talking about passivity. In other words, if someone is beating up on you, or if they're beating up on your loved ones, then you're not supposed to defend yourself. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about here. I think we should always opt for peace. And as much as it's in our power, exhaust every other attempt, not fight. Not enter into conflict, but rather to be peacemakers. But I don't think that Jesus was saying that we need to be a punching bag for some ill-mannered bully. The phrase, turn the other cheek, might seem like we should allow people to walk all over us. But that's not the picture here. Understanding this whole concept of slapping uh, in Bible days and maybe even today Slapping someone on the face was an insult. It was probably as disrespectful as you could possibly get. Slapping was more of a wound to the pride than it was to the face or to the body. And when slapped, you were expected to retaliate in order to preserve or to defend your dignity. And here Jesus is saying laying down your right to retaliate or to seek revenge is of higher value than protecting or defending your honor and your dignity. And I know this is a difficult one. I know how hard it is to do that. But again, Jesus is dealing here with matters of the heart, teaching us that in the kingdom of God we're to walk with meekness and humility. We're not called to be Prosecutor, judge, and jury all wrapped up into one. God is the judge. That's what Paul said. Vengeance belongs to him, and we have to acquiesce or yield to his system of justice. Do you know when you mete out justice, that's, that God's going to say, okay, you do it. He has his plan. It's always better than our plan. But if you take it upon yourself to be vengeful, then God says, okay, I'll let you do it. I'd rather he do it, wouldn't you? He's the judge. All right, verses 40 through 42. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone, anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. All right, after reading this entire passage... All 16 verses that were assigned to me today, the 16 verses that we're going to read, and I have a few more to cover, after reading those verses, praying about them, spending some time thinking about them, I decided to sum up this entire message with the phrase the extra mile. Yeah, I think that's what's up there. Yeah, the extra mile. The reason that we went with this particular subtitle is because all of these verses and all of the matters that Jesus is addressing in this passage it shows us an attitude where he mandates or he requires of us to go above and beyond to go past what we would normally do to do more than what might be expected from the average person. And the reason why that's so paramount, the reason why Jesus was attempting to teach us that is because when we're willing to go beyond what we want to do, and when we make the decision to go past what we think we're capable of doing, that's when the grace of God kicks in. And the grace of God takes us to places we can't get by ourselves. This is the reason why God would say, go the extra mile. That's the beauty of the extra mile. Because in the long run, pun intended, we benefit from it. Not the person who we're reaching out to, not the person who we are supposedly trying to bless or minister to. They don't get the greatest blessing. We do. And in this particular verse, what would happen a lot of times is a Roman soldier could demand that you walk with him for a mile and carry all of his stuff. And Jesus said, and and nobody wanted to do that. You know, people who were busy, people had things, you know, places to go. They didn't want to carry a Roman's equipment for a mile. Jesus said, when you are asked to do it for a mile and you go two miles, you're not blessing the soldier as much as you are being a recipient of what God has to offer. And this is what we want more than anything else. We need his grace. Grace is God adding to our lives what we can't add ourselves. That's why Jesus instructs us to be willing to do a little bit more than what we want to do. To have the attitude, you know, I'm going to go above and beyond. Now, Back in March of 2014, we were involved in yet another financial campaign here at our church. I think we had seven or eight of them where we were trying to raise money in the last 30 years. Seven or eight financial campaigns. This particular one was called the Freedom Project. Do you remember that project? A few of you do. At that time in 2014, God was challenging us as a congregation to get a little bit more involved in missions and outreach. And at the same time, he wanted us to address some debt. We had quite a bit of debt. And so with the Freedom Project, what we were trying to do was raise a million dollars. Can you believe that? We were attempting to have the church raise a million dollars cash. And on that Sunday, when I was making my most passionate appeal uh, for us to raise that kind of money, a man walked into Community Christian Church for the very first time. He was here as a visitor because a member of our church had invited him, and he's sitting there listening to me cry out and beg for money. And he's got to be thinking, you know, how bold and brazen, who does that guy think he is, asking his congregation for a million dollars? He was a little put off by it. And who could blame them? And we went through the entire service and we revealed some of the things that we were attempting to do with the Freedom Project. You know, we had some touching videos and some songs that we sang. And we got all the way to the end of the service when I appealed to the congregation for everyone's involvement. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to this man visiting here for the first time and said, I want you to get involved. I don't want you to just write out a check. I want you to write out a big check. And believe it or not, he responded to the Lord and he did that. He gave a very generous check. And then afterwards, he started coming to the church. He wanted to see what we were going to do with his money. (laughs) He'd been here ever since. And in the last eight years, the Lord has given him tremendous financial freedom with his business. And if you ask him, if you talk to him today, he will tell you that the success that he's experiencing today was because of his willingness to go the extra mile back then. You see, that's what the extra mile does. This is why we're making such a big deal about it right now you benefit from the extra mile. You benefit from that attitude. It allows the grace of God to be deposited in your life. All right, last passage. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Again, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? That you may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And the heavenly Father that we serve, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors are doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, when you read your Bible from cover to cover, in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you will read the same thing over and over again when it comes to this whole subject of love. The scripture teaches us, the scripture instructs us from Genesis to Revelation to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, this past week, I went on a little search in the scripture. I read through The book of Leviticus, where the law of Moses is given. I read through Deuteronomy. I read through the Old Testament. I looked through the Old Testament. I studied, I researched. You know, I couldn't find one passage of Scripture that gave me permission to hate anyone. Couldn't find one. The permission or the instruction to hate people is not in the law of Moses. In fact, it's nowhere in the Scripture at all. Because it's not the heart of God. And so, this whole idea that we can use hate to deal with conflict, this whole idea that we can respond to our enemies with hate in our hearts, it was another inaccurate interpretation on the part of the religious leaders. It's not in the scripture. Jesus said, you've heard that you can hate your enemy. I'm telling you, you can't. Because the scripture teaches us to love, period. 1 John 2.9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. A few verses later, John goes on to say, if you say you love God and you hate a brother, you're not telling the truth because the scripture is very clear. And the reason why God wants us to respond with love is because that's really the only way things are going to be different. That's the only way a heart will ever melt or a heart will ever be changed. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it the best way with the famous quote, he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Only love. The truth is, we don't love our enemies the way we love our family members and friends. We're not required to love them the same way. But we are required to love them with God-given mercy and forgiveness and grace. Bottom line is, we can't pick and choose. Based on the circumstances, we can't decide whether or not we'll love or we'll hate or we'll show love or show hate. Because when our hearts are changed, legitimately changed and transformed by the love of God and by the grace of God, regardless of the situation, love is going to flow out. You have to fight it back. And again, these are the matters of the heart that Jesus was addressing. You've been taught a certain way. You've learned it a certain way. But those ways are contrary to the ways of God. This is what it was said before, but this is what I say now. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for the undeniable presence of the Holy Spirit that we sense in this place this morning. All during the service, Lord, from the time that we opened up and started singing and genuinely declaring to you, Lord, we want to be ready. What do we do? Spiritually, we want to be ready. Your people were not ready the first time Jesus stepped onto the earth. They completely missed his coming. Most of them did. There was a handful. We don't want to do that, Lord. We don't want to not be ready spiritually when you return to this earth. And so we're asking, Lord, make us ready. Change our hearts. Teach us the right way. And your word said there was coming a time when we wouldn't need anyone else to teach us. We wouldn't need someone to stand up and tell us what to do because your Holy Spirit would bring that conviction to our hearts. Father, as we look at this sermon, as we expose the instructions, as we spend time reading every word, detailing it out, our deep desires to be changed. And so we come to you, Lord. And we lay ourselves before you. We don't want to live contrary to your word. We want to do it your way. And we give you permission, Lord, in these closing moments to mess with our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.